0: Good morning, hope everybody's doing all right, you doing okay, yeah. yeah, good, good, everybody enjoying the crisp winter mornings that we're having, yeah, yeah, Tanya, I turned on my gas logs, oh, really? yeah, it was cold downstairs, we turned them on, Nicole was cold, I was cold, yeah, but we, we turned on our gas logs, so, yeah, do what? Yeah. If you don't know, uh, um, Tanya has been doing a contest with with Derek to see which one would turn on the heat before the other one. That's what that has to do with. If you watch on Facebook, because that's where I get all my news now, because that's true. Everything that's on Facebook is true. Um, True and factual, Facebook, yeah, that's it. So anyway, anyway, that's that. Um, Recently, uh, last Sunday evening... I was at a church, and um, they had this banner inside, inside, inside their gym. And if you notice, every Wednesday from 530 to 6, there are free children. <laughs> free children. And being inside the gym, it has a banner to be an outreach into the community. At the very top of it, it says, come visit us. Man, the first first service, I just didn't learn. First service, was, it's inside and it's saying, "Come visit us for people that don't come to." Ch- okay. Then that was just funny to me that it was inside. It'd be like us putting a, building, a a banner right here saying, "Come visit Farmington," but it's not out there. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Obviously, I thought it was funnier than everybody else in this room. So anyway, free children from 5.30 to 6. Uh, If you want a free child, just let me know. I'll tell you where the church is every Wednesday. They have them um, for you to pick up. All right. Um. (laughs) Thank you. Probably not even laughing at me, but I'll take it. (laughs) So Nicole and I, um, 26 years ago, uh, got married. It was in June... June 1st is our, is our date that we, we decided to get married on. All right. Um, I'm just going to have pause here a moment because my OCD is kicking in. And on the side of the screen, on my side of the screen, never mind. It's not here. I'm good. I will, I'll be just fine. Don't worry about it. All right. Here we go. We got married about 26 years ago. That's what we did. And we thought it would be good for ministry if we were married, you know, and not living with each other. Uh, we thought the ministry might go better you know, if that was to happen. So we got married, and uh, what we did was we decided to have all our pictures before the wedding. So we had no pictures after the wedding. So we saw each other. And, and so for some people, and maybe you're one of these people in the room that just kind of went, oh, Philip's going to see you before? Yes, yes. You see, where that comes from historically is there used to be arranged marriages. And so the groom wasn't allowed to see who he was going to marry so that day of the wedding, they had planned all this. The people were there. It was going to be a wedding. He didn't know who was going to walk down the aisle for him to say, I do to." He did not know because it was arranged. So he couldn't see her. He couldn't see her before. He only saw her when he was going to marry her. Now, that would absolutely scare me to death because I know some of the girls that my dad said that I should date. Absolutely not, Right? And then my mom was even worse, right, with her picks for people. No way, absolutely not. So I'm glad that I was able to have a choice. So nonetheless, we had all our pictures made. And so that meant that all the candelabras were lit. Because we did the old-fashioned, back-in-the-day candelabras. You had a candelabra on this side. You had a candelabra on this side. You had a candelabra right here. It was candelabra right here. If you're too young to know what that is, it's kind of like a fan, with fire, is, is what it is, right, <laughs> behind you, that's pretty much what it is, so all those were lit, now, we had to extinguish the candles before the ceremony, because of course, when the people came in, there would be the people walking down to light each one of the candles at the beginning of the music time, right, and so um, they had these snuffers, and they snuffed out all the candles, and They did a very good job at snuffing out the candles because during the music time, right before we were to come down, the people that came to light the candles couldn't do it because they snuffed them so well that you couldn't light some of the candles. And so for about 10 to 15 minutes, you had these guys walking back to the back to get lighters, you know, it was, you know, and they're trying to light the candles there, pull the sticks, all kinds of stuff. It was pretty entertaining for the people in the room. I wasn't in the room. But my wife, I tell you, was not entertained by that. Right? Because it was her day, stress, stuff. She wasn't mean or anything, but, you know, it was just, really, the candles aren't? So we waited and waited and waited. And actually, we got married without 12 of the candles lit. So I don't know if it's a legit marriage or not, because 12 of the candles on the candelabras. I don't know if it's legit or not. That might have, That might be the sinking thing for it. But nonetheless, we couldn't get them lit. And with that in mind, I want you to turn to your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. By the way, the reason that we wanted the, all the pictures before is because we had been a part, of, a part of, you know, singing and doing things for certain weddings. And, you know, you would go to the place to eat, and you would just kind of sit there and wait on the, the bride and groom to come in, right? Right. And I don't know if you know this or not, but the people that take pictures, they don't have watches. <laughs> they just don't have watches. So you're sitting there, and an hour and a half later, the Brian and groom comes in, because it's not their fault, it's the photographer's fault. Now, if you're a photographer for a wedding, I apologize for offending you at this moment. Um, please do not do an opinion piece in the Davy County Enterprise. <laughs> okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're going to read verse 19, and it says this. Do not quench the spirit. That particular word quench there means snuff out. It is actually the word that they use for their snuffers, for their candles, and for their lanterns. So each evening in their house right before they went to bed or whenever they wanted to turn the candle off, they would snuff out those particular candles and the house would go dark. So it says do not quench the spirit. We all know That spirit in scripture is a flame of fire. So it said, do not snuff out the fire of the spirit. Do not snuff out the control of the spirit in your life. Do not quench the spirit. Now, one of the reasons that you and I should not um, quench the spirit is this. Once the spirit is quenched, the Holy Spirit is quenched, it is very hard to get that back. It's very hard to get that back. It's very hard to get that back personally in your life when you've quenched the Spirit to get that fire back into your life. It's very hard to get that started back. I know that the Holy Spirit and there's forgiveness and all that kind of stuff, but there is just something that happens when you quench the Spirit and the damage that results from that, that lasts for a certain period of time, and it's hard to get that candle relit. in a church, it is very difficult to get that candle relit. If a congregation of people or a group of people in the congregation decides to quench the Spirit in a church, it might be generations before that Spirit is relit. I have been a part of some churches like that. Not on staff, but to help them out to try to figure out how to do this. And I have friends that have been in churches where just a few people decided to get disgruntled about really idiotic sort of non-biblical things and they caused a stink in the church and then the stink caused the church to quench its spirit because then they were at war and there's no Holy Spirit in the room. God is not there anymore. And the church then at that point begins to die. Because without the Holy Spirit of God, we do not have a vibrant, alive church. If life depended on me to supply it for this church, you would all be in trouble. If it depended on you to bring life into this church, we would all be in trouble. But God has given us the Holy Spirit. He is a flame of fire, and we do not quench Him. We do not quench Him at all. At all. So so what Quenches the Spirit. Well, we quench the Spirit when we allow ourselves to be controlled by things that are not God. Anything outside of God that has our control, that has um, our feelings toward it, or has the control of what we make decisions by, anything else outside of God is when we quench the Spirit. So, preferences, sins, um, Different focuses in, in this world, the culture, if we let that in, it will quench the Spirit. And we need to make sure that we do not allow the Spirit of God to be quenched. Now, people sometimes get upset by the stupidest of things. I, I get upset sometimes. Sometimes. I know it's hard to believe. I it's hard to believe. But sometimes I get upset by the stupidest of things. And if I allow that to infiltrate other people in the church, I am quenching the Spirit of God. And what I should be doing is asking forgiveness for my pettiness and asking God to get my eyes back on Jesus. That's what I should be doing. And so you keep that flame going and you make sure that you do not quench the Spirit. Now Paul continues. In this passage of Scripture about do not quench the Spirit, and this is what he says in verse 20, do not despise prophecies. That particular word despise means to despise them, to throw them out, to ignore them, to ignore them. Um, If any of you have ever had children, sometimes you say stuff that they listen to, and sometimes you say stuff that they ignore. It's the same type of word. By the way, you don't have to have children. You could be married to somebody that ignores you at times, right? And at other times, doesn't ignore you, right? It's that same sort of, you know, ignoring what is being said. Here, Paul is saying, do not ignore the scriptures. Prophecies here is in relation to the whole word of God. And actually, if you really zoned in on it, he's telling them not to cast out the Old Testament. Because really, 1 Thessalonians is one of the first books that were written in our New Testament. Under the direction of the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, do not cast out all the, all the stuff that God says that is wrong. Pay attention to it. Do not despise it. Live by it. And when we live by the word of God, we keep that flame. We keep the Holy Spirit in control of our lives. He continues in this passage. He says this, but test everything, he says. Test everything. Don't despise the prophets, you know, the prophecies, but test them. This is a great, a great thing because we should test to make sure that what is being said is true. We should uh, have a filter to where we say that might not be true and test whatever we are being told. I think not only should we do that outside of the church, but we also should make sure that we are doing it inside the church. But we need to be careful. Because sometimes testing everything that you hear turns into being critical about everything you hear, which turns into you squelching or putting the spirit of God out. You're quenching the spirit. So what is the difference between testing that is healthy information and testing uh, stuff that's happening that isn't healthy. Well, I wrote down a couple of things, and here they are. Here's a couple questions. First, will this change things? I mean, that's a, that seems to be a good question, right? But when it comes to God and the truth of Scripture and what He wants us to do, that is not a good test. God is constantly changing things. Constantly. Constantly. We serve a creative God that in creative ways reaches the masses through his people. He is very very creative. He changes things. And if God is on the move, he will change your environment. So just because it will change things is not a good test. Here's another one. Will control be lost? Will I lose control if we make this change? That is not a good test. Because you're not the one that's supposed to be in control. You're supposed to be following and managing what God is giving you to do. That's what you're supposed to be doing. Control, that's not a good question. Here's another one that isn't good either. Will I have to adjust to what is going on? If I have to adjust, maybe it's not God because God wouldn't want me to adjust, that sort of deal. And people... They don't want to change when God wants them to change, and they don't want to adjust when God wants them to adjust. When I first came here to the church, there were 60 to 75 people that would attend here on Sunday morning. That was a different way for me to live and interact with people and lead the church. It was totally different than it is now. The church has grown. I have had to adjust. See, if God is on the move, things will not remain the same. There is growth. There's people being saved. There's people being discipled. And God causes growth to happen in his own time. I've read a lot of of books about church growth. All of them are wrong. All of them are wrong. There is not a specific strategy for the growth of the house of God. It is really more simple than all the books that had ever been written. It is keeping your eyes focused on Jesus Christ and following him and changing and adjusting when he says to change and adjust. Come on, church. That is what you do. If you don't do that, you quench the Spirit of God and you leave him out of it, and then it becomes all about you and what you want. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm not in for that. I'm not in for that at all. I'm a pretty, by nature, controlling person. I like to be in control. It's just a thing. And I've had to learn over my course of ministry to let God control things, and then I just lead it. That's all I do. He controls it, I lead, we're done. So everything that you see here is him. So if we continue to grow, and I pray that we do, I don't know what God has planned, but we will have to make adjustments along the way, and we will just follow him faithfully and be glad with anything he wants to do at 1835 Farmington Road. This is the place that I pray That God's kingdom will touch down on earth and impact our community. This is what this is. And so we adjust. So those those are bad questions. So what are good ones? Well, is it biblical? Uh, Like really biblical? That's a good question. Because some people say it's biblical and they go at it from their theological perspective. So they... They kind of say, well, theologically, this is blah, blah, blah. And really, some of those theological concepts aren't even in the Bible. All right? So is it biblical, like really biblical? Is this okay to do? Does the Bible say that this is fine, like this is morally correct? Is this what God wants? That's a great question. Not what I want. Is this what God wants? And that's a prayer question. That's really seeking him and making sure that what he is doing is exactly what he wants. Or you know what I mean by that. I didn't say that right, but I think you got it maybe. I'm assuming you did. God will tell me in a moment. All right. Is this just a preference or a moral issue? Sometimes the things that we disagree with and the things that we test is just a preference. But we need to test things according to morality and the morality that we learn from the Word of God. Those are appropriate tests. And we test everything. Everything according to the scriptures, and according to what Jesus wants, that is what we do. And when we do that correctly, we will not quench the spirit. In fact, the flame will grow and grow and grow, and his presence will be felt more and more and more as we follow him. And that is what I want in my life, that's what I want in your life, and I know you want that as well in your church. So there you go. So You test everything. And then you hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. You abstain from every form of evil. Um, Good there is singular. It's interesting that it's singular because I would have expected it to be hold on to everything that's good and abstain from everything that's evil. Because I can think of a lot of good things. Can't you? For instance, like, Reese's Peanut Butter Trees, that's good, right? That's good. Um, you know, Merry Mix Sweet Tarts in the box is a very good thing, right? Chocolate Cake is a very good thing. No? No? Steak is an amazing thing. Yeah? I don't care what cut it is, it's an amazing thing. My wife just likes certain cuts, one certain cut of steak, and that's ribeye. She's losing out on life. She's missing out on the New York Strip and the filet mignon. Oh, and my mouth. I mean, there's a lot of things that's good. But in this passage of Scripture, it says you're supposed to hold fast to what is good singular. So it's only one thing. And abstain from all evil. And so the good here is the word of God. It's Jesus Christ. You hold on to that one thing and that one thing only. And you abstain from all sorts of evil. You stay away from them. You say no because you have something better and you hold on to that. A lot of Christians just... They don't abstain from evil like they should, and he says abstain from evil. Every time you participate in evil is a moment that you are quenching the Holy Spirit's power in your life. Now, the church I was at just this past Sunday evening um, had a problem in their bathrooms, but the girls in the guys' bathroom had a Bad smell in it. The way that we knew that is because children started coming out of the bathroom saying, man, it really stinks in here. So some people of the church went into the bathrooms to investigate, and lo and behold, they came out coughing. Now one of them that I knew really well came up to me and said, Philip, would you like to go into the bathroom and smell this? And I went, no, are you crazy? He said, no, no. I, I do not want to do that. And so I sat down and thought, oh, my goodness, this is so nice. It is so nice not to have to take the plunger to—I don't know if you know, in our bathrooms, sometimes they don't work right. You have to take the plunger, and it's all kinds of—it is kind of nice to be a visitor and say, no, I don't have to handle that at this particular place. I'm not complaining. Do you know what I mean, Tim? I don't have to handle that here. I can just be a guest. I can sit back, and then I feel kind of guilty because I'm not volunteering. But no, they have volunteers. There are three or four guys that were just excited about doing whatever they needed to do in these bathrooms. Another guy I know pretty well <clears throat> came up to me a little later. He said, Philip, we've got it. We've, we've got the drain unclogged, and it all went out into the yard of the church. Do you want to come see it? And I'm like, no, I do not want to come see that. There are reasons. I have a weak stomach when it comes to smells anyway, and you don't want something else to clean up. Like if I'm in the room, you don't want something else to clean up. So I said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I am going to abstain from that and stay in this particular chair that is good. Okay? It is good. This is a good place to be. A lot of Christians need to start abstaining from sin that is stinking up their lives. They need to say no to it. And when it's out on display in the backyard and other people are doing it, and they're saying, hey, come over here. Come over here and look at this. Look at what we're doing here. That is the point in which you say no. I can't go to that party because of what you will be doing there. I can't go to that movie because of what that movie is going to show me at particular points during it. I can't do it. I cannot go and drink at a bar and get drunk. I can't do that. I have to say no. I have to abstain from that. I have something good. It is Jesus Christ and his word. And I'm going to hold on to that rather than all the evil that I could possibly hold on to. Come on, church. This stinks. This doesn't. And you know, you don't have to do the evil stuff. Jesus has already taken care of all of that for you. He washed that sin completely away from you. He set you up to be something different, and that is the way that you should live. Come on, church. So you abstain from every form of evil. Now, do not quench the spirit is actually the center of what he is saying in this particular um, passage of scripture. So if you flip over, you get the beginning, like before we get to the center. And it starts with verse 16. Okay? And this is what it says. <clears throat> it says, a little bit closer to these, these eyes of mine, right? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. And give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In all the circumstances that you will ever go through in your life, there are three dimensions to those circumstances rejoicing, praying, and being thankful. Three dimensions. Every Christian has this three dimensions. In this passage of Scripture, it says, In all circumstances, you are supposed to give thanks. This does not mean for the circumstance. It says in the circumstance. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, I don't have to give thanks for my current circumstance. Say that to your neighbor. I have to give thanks in my circumstance. It's totally different. I may have uh, something that comes on me that is a very difficult time. I do not have to thank the Lord for that difficult time. But what I do have to do is thank the Lord that he is with me during that difficult time. That difficult time is on me. it's nothing maybe that I have, I have caused to come upon myself and it's really very difficult and there's a lot of emotions. In that moment, I am thankful that I have somebody that is stronger than my circumstance that is walking with me through it. And I thank the Lord for it. Not for the circumstance, but for the fact that he's with me. And that is how you give thanks in the middle of your circumstance. The moment that you start giving thanks in your circumstance is the moment that you begin to take control of that particular circumstance because God is taking control of your heart. You are not quenching the Spirit. You are fanning the flame of the Spirit, and it's growing stronger and stronger and stronger. I've seen many times where Christians allow their circumstances to snuff out and quench the Spirit of Almighty God, and the moment that they do that, they are lost Have you ever noticed that sometimes in a fire, when it's being snuffed out by stuff that you put on it, there's just a lot of smoke? And people haven't realized that they are putting a lot of leaves on there, and that's why, or a lot of boxes on there, or wet wood on there, and that's why it's smoking. And what they need to do is they need to remove all of that and stoke the flame so you actually have a flame instead of all the smoke. See, when you, when you quench the Spirit of God and you're not thankful for it, there's a bunch of smoke in the room, and all you're doing is smacking at the smoke. Why God? Why God? Why me? Why me? Why me? <laughs> <sighs> and you're coughing, and, the cho- and it's just choking you up, because at that point in time, there's a lot of smoke, and, it, and all your circumstances are choking you out. And what you should be doing is saying, no, this will not control me, The Holy Spirit is going to control me. I'm going to remove all this stuff and flame the flame and be thankful that God is still with me in this process. That's what I'm going to do. The moment you start doing that, you're fanning the flame and you're making that brighter. It continues in this passage of scripture. um, Well, before it says, rejoice always. Rejoice always. You're supposed to always rejoice. That's another way of stoking that flame and making it burn rather than fighting the smoke. There's several different types of Christians in the world. But there's two I want to bring up at this point in time. There's those Christians that are always happy. Don't they make you sick? The Christians that are always happy, they're always just smiling their face, always happy, always... Uh, you know, like this. Um, And then there's the second type, the Christians that are always miserable. You ever know these people? They're always miserable. They're Christians, but they're always, uh, something's always wrong, always wrong, always wrong, always wrong. I want to give you a little secret. The happy ones over here that are always happy and the miserable ones over here are suffocating the flame of God. You cannot be happy with everything that happens to you in this life. God created more emotions than Mickey Mouse. Me and Happy all the time. (laughs) You know, just more emotions than that. And he wants you to experience those emotions. So when something tough happens, you feel like it is tough. You feel the sadness. It is healthy to cry. It is healthy to have these emotions. And you have them. So what do you do? What is rejoicing? Well, if rejoicing isn't happiness, how do you rejoice when you're sad, when you're mourning, when you're going through a tough time? Well, you remember a couple of things about God. Okay? Because God says, when you have a broken heart, I'm still doing something else. I am still in heaven. I am still with you. And so to kind of bring this particular point kind of to where we need it to be, I have a song that I want to show you. It's a video, and it's off my uh, Thanksgiving playlist, and it's called Me On Your Mind. So listen to this and think about, this is how you rejoice when you have a broken heart. Here we go. I've
1: read the words in red. How you leave the 99 to find the one missing feels like that was written with me on your mind. Be that with me on your mind. Who am I?
0: How you do it. Tell you, there's some times where the neighbors can hear that song from my house and I'm okay with it. I live in a neighborhood. I crank that up. If I am feeling down, there's a song like that. Like I will crank up that song. There's several others that I'll crank up in the house. And there's something about rejoicing that brings you out of that depression, that gives you the strength to rise above your circumstances. Rather than being crushed by them. And the thought that he had us on his mind is an amazing thought. That chorus goes like this. Who am I that the king of the world would give one single thought about my broken heart? Who am I that the God of all grace wipes the tears from my face and says, come as you are. You paid the price You took the cross, you gave your life, and you did it all with me on your mind. No matter what you are going through, you can rejoice. Because up in heaven, God still has you on his mind. He still cares. And that is worth rejoicing in. It's worth rejoicing in. So the last one is prayer. It says, verse 17, pray. Pray. Without ceasing, that means constantly. Have you ever had something go wrong and, or something go right? Maybe it was a success or maybe it wasn't or maybe it's just something that happened that you just couldn't wait to tell somebody about. I have a set of people for different things that happen, like certain pictures that I, that I find. I know that I can send them here to certain, these certain people and they will find it funny and these people over here. And those are the first people on my mind to tell them something, right? And so, and so some of you... Um, <clears throat> Certain things you call your parents for, certain things you call your spouse for, certain things you want to tell your kids about, certain things you want to tell a friend about, right? You have certain things that happen that you have these certain people that you want to tell. You call them on the phone, you text them, you uh, do whatever you do to communicate, right? You always have that. Have you ever had that burning sensation you just needed to tell somebody something? Like, I just got to tell this person this. I cannot wait to tell Nicole this today. I cannot wait to get to work and share this with Seth. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. That is precisely the feeling that we should get from verse 17. Verse seventeen. I cannot wait to tell God about my day. I think sometimes we, we don't maybe want to do that because we feel like he already knows about our day, which is true. But he still wants to hear from us about our day. And so something happens that is amazing. Maybe that's the point in time where we just stop and we talk to God about that at that particular moment. And we pray about it. Oh God, this was awesome. Let me tell you about it. I did that up in Boone. That's where I was at. This church that I was at was in Boone. I went to Walmart. And... Kessler Mill Road in Winston has nothing on the Walmart in Boone. There was a guy that was in a kilt. Hairy, sparsely hairy legs. Had a mask on. Had a toboggan on. Just weird. Absolutely weird. I prayed in that moment because I didn't know who else I would. I have to pray in that moment. Lord, I know You made them, but I really need help not judging right now. You know, and you pray in that moment. Are you you tracking with me? And there's more. I could give you description, cause descriptions, and it was all just kind of odd up there in Boone while I was at Walmart getting my Pepsi and my Reese trees. But He's available. When I got back to the church, I told Nicole, man, there's some weird people up here at this Walmart. We should go on the way out so you could experience it. I mean, it's just that, that sort of deal. You know what I mean? I really wanted to tell her because God has already experienced it. Now I want Nicole to be a part of that whole process, right? And you just desire to tell. Listen, we need to view prayer that way that we just can't wait to tell Jesus. And not just all about our problems but about everything that is significant that happens in our life. And sometimes you just stop and say, thank you, Lord, for doing that. I know that you did that because nobody else did. You caused that particular thing to happen. So you pray without ceasing. Now, this is my bike. Um, this is my bike. And on Friday, I was here, and I tested riding it in this room. Because initially, the creative idea was for me, just I was just going to ride it down the center and, you know, and kind of ride it around and talk to you a little bit and do that sort of thing. But what I found out is I can't do that in this room. Um, one and a half turns of my, of my pedals gets me to this area, and then it's hard to really, I can make this turn, but I can't make that turn. And if I go this way, it's hard to make that turn. Anyway, you don't want to know all that. I just couldn't do it. So, so I couldn't do it. But the reason I brought this bike today is because every time you ride a bike, it's really, it's really an extension of yourself, isn't it? Isn't it? It's an extension of yourself. So you get on it, and you can actually go further, faster, stronger. So, so I, get, I get, you know, I, we went up to the Creeper Trail in 2020. That's really the last time I rode it on a significant trail. That's why it looks so new. And we took the creeper trail, and the creeper trail kind of goes down the whole time, right? So you don't have to pedal that much. Well, Well, prayer is just an extension of who you are. Because when you pray, you can go further, stronger, faster. And so sometimes you're going down the hill and you don't have to pedal as often. You just pray and you're enjoying the ride. You're, you're thanking the Lord that it's so easy on this particular day. Because let me tell you something, if you have an easy day in this life, you need to praise the Lord for it because those don't come very often. Most of the time, it's mediocre at best with a little hill, right? And so when you get to that level place, and the Creeper Trail has level places, you you had to pedal a little bit more. So gearing had to be different. You had to pedal a little bit more and go on that. And prayer is the same way. There's sometimes in life it becomes mundane and just normal. And those are the times that you really pray just a little bit more because you want to get wherever you need to go, faster, stronger, better. And every time you pray, Every time you pray, it becomes an extension of you, just like a bike, and you get there faster, stronger, better. You go up a hill. I remember when I first started riding, I was riding at uh, Tanglewood. I had a different bike at the time. And um, I don't know if you've ever been on the trails at Tanglewood, but there's some... That you go down and then you go up and it's like really difficult to get all the way up. Like you really have to go down fast in order to get up. It's a lot of things. And so me, being the athlete that I am, jump off my bike and I push it up the rest of the hill. But here's the deal. I'm not going faster, stronger, better, but I'm still holding on to my bike because I'm going to need it when I get to the top of the hill to finish the trail. You see, prayer is the same way. Sometimes it just becomes very difficult to pray, but you still hold on to it even though you're not riding on it to get through whatever you're getting through. These are the times that you're asking God why, and you really have doubts, and, it's, and the situation is really overcoming you, and, and it's really starting to crush you, but you continue to hold on to prayer and you push up the hill because one day you'll be at the top, and you'll find the faith that you thought you lost. And you'll be able to hop back on on that prayer bicycle and get somewhere faster, stronger, and better. Does this make sense? Prayer should be an extension of every single Christian in this room. You should never walk without it. You should never get up during a day and not do it. You should always be praying, praying without ceasing talking to him about everything that's happening, and stay on your bike. The reason that this thing looks so new is because I haven't ridden it very often. It sits in our garage, and my car parks right beside it, and it's really kind of irritating because I have to open up my door and kind of slip out of my door to get out because of the way our garage is. Nicole likes to park her car it doesn't, doesn't matter. It's not an issue in our marriage. So I park my car so she can get out of hers, okay? All right? And I get, I get out and I protect my bike and I look at it and I just kind of get irritated with it. And I'm afraid that there are Christians that that's all they do when it comes to prayer. They look at it. They hear it in a sermon, they consider it. Something goes wrong in their life, they ask other people to do it. Other people ask them to pray, and they say yes, but they never do it. They just look at it, and it sits unused in their spiritual garage. And ladies and gentlemen, if that is you, if prayer is something that you are not using without ceasing, Satan has you exactly where he wants you. Out of every other tool that we have, including the Bible, prayer is the number one powerful tool that we have that is given to us by Almighty God. And I respect the Bible, but you can't understand the Bible unless you're praying. You cannot get through this life unless you're praying. You do not have the Bible and what it teaches coming into your soul unless you are praying to God about your particular situation. You cannot get through life without praying. And look, Satan knows it. If he can keep God's people from praying, he's one. He has us exactly where he wants us to be. Because a Christian that isn't praying is a powerless Christian. It's a Christian that has quenched the spirit of Almighty God in their life. And out of everything in this passage of scripture, it is prayer that keeps that prayer going, that keeps that flame going, that keeps you from quenching the spirit. It is prayer. If you are praying without ceasing, I guarantee you, you are rejoicing in your circumstances. You are thankful for your circumstances. If you are praying without ceasing, you are reading your Bible and you accept it into your heart. You are holding on to the good and you're abstaining from evil. You are doing everything that you should be doing if you are praying without ceasing. That is how it works. Come on, church. And too many times, Christians walk the walk alone and leave their prayer alone, sitting right where they last, left it the last time they prayed. And what they should be doing is kicking the kickstand aside and ride it, I'm not going to ride it. And ride their prayer through their entire life because they will get where they need to go for Jesus faster. Stronger and better. Amen? So here's what we're going to do. Next few moments, I want you to bow your head close your eyes right where you are. I don't know if you need to tell the Lord that you want, need to pray and you're sorry that you haven't been praying. I don't know if you need to tell him that. I don't know if you're messing with evil and you're living in like stink and smoke and you need to abstain from it i don't know if you need to pray about holding on to what is good i don't know if you need to rejoice in your current circumstance thanks god in your current circumstance i don't know what you need to do but in the next few moments i want you to pray to him i want you to give your heart to him and ask him to show you where you're quenching his spirit in your life and ask him to help you fan the flame once again Let's just take a few moments to pray. So, Father, we ask these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm here today to pray with you. If you need that, the altar is open as well. Um, If you want to join our church, I'll be glad.